This is Channel 253. In this episode of Gimme the Mic. I also do kind of have intentional biases towards uh, supporting female founders and minority-led businesses. It's very important to me. Those are two areas that I think that are very, very like up and coming in the venture space. That's great. And also for groups um, that are coming out of the South Sound. Uh, that are putting things, I want to be able to see all of them. So that's important. And then marketplaces, you know, you can be doing a good product and have a good team, but if you're not selling it and it's not going to get big, like what's the point? Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. the mic. Give me the mic. Welcome everyone to Give Me the Mic. I'm your host, Stan Nguyen from The Small City Startup. Tacoma has given me the mic so I can talk about startups and incubators and resources for entrepreneurs in our community. And today with me, I have Dennis Joyce, Dennis Joyce is the director of investments at the Tacoma Venture Fund. He's a longtime investor in our community, and I'm really excited to talk to him about some of the things that he can do for our entrepreneurs here in the city of Tacoma. He's been an angel investor in Seattle, and I'm going to let him talk about himself because he knows himself better than anyone. Dennis, can you start to tell us a little bit about your background and what you do out here? Uh, thanks for uh, reaching out, guys. I really appreciate it. And um, it's a great format. Um, I'm, a, I'm an investor. I've been a full-time um, angel investor for um, the last seven or eight years. Uh, I started off um, doing this work up with one of the angel groups in Seattle. Um, I was an independent angel uh, during that period of time. And um, did about 21 or so investments um, before that, uh, usually in startups based in the Pacific Northwest. I did a couple um, in other ecosystems, but pretty much staying close to home. I, I previously had lived in um, Puyallup, South Hill, and um, I commuted up to Seattle to work with the companies that were that are from that ecosystem and i joined um an angel network uh called the alliance of angels then i joined another angel network called puget sound venture club and both of those are like almost like gyms <laughs> but for investing or you know like country clubs but for investing so you see you pay like a yearly um, set of dues and then you get access you, uh, to meetings that um, have startups that are looking for funding. And then everybody gets to um, invest independently. And so I, I got really involved with those organizations. And then um, I wanted to do more. At the same time, I was going through a personal move from South Hill to Tacoma, which um, opened me up to a lot of different, you know, new people and new opportunities in this ecosystem. 
And um, at the time I was looking to try to, you know, um, have more of an impact in the companies I invested in. Uh, so instead of writing a smaller check, I wanted to write, you know, a much bigger check. And, uh, you know, I, I was trying to find different ways to do that. Um, some people start their own funds. Some people join other funds. In my case, um, I was lucky enough to kind of meet a couple of other people that were trying to do the same thing. And um, those guys were Bill Driscoll, Steve Gordon, and uh, they were trying to put together a fund and they were looking for a full-time investor to, um, to lead the um, due diligence on deals. And so it ended up being a really, really lucky opportunity for me to meet up with some people that were trying to do the same things as I was trying to do um, here. So um, although I didn't have a lot of investing experience um, and didn't know a lot of other investors down here, I was able to connect with some people that had a great uh, line um, into the community. And so, yeah, so I just uh, hooked up with the guys at TBF that were forming TBF. And um, now we are Tacoma Venture Fund. Um, so we are early stage VC. We are an emerging fund. So we're small. We're in our first fund. Um, and our goal is to um, return, um, you know, great results for our investors, but also um, to stimulate economic development for companies that are coming out of the South Sound. So uh, we like to invest in venture scale startups that are based here. Kind of our, our main hub is, is in Tacoma. Um, but we also, um, we have investors that are from Olympia. We have some investors that are from Peninsula and Kitsap County up north towards like Paulsbo and Bremerton. So we're just kind of like the three counties, um, Pierce County, uh, Thurston County and Kitsap County. Okay. Thank you for that. That's fascinating. So I have a lot of questions here. You said that you were an independent angel investing with Alliance of Angels. And it sounds like you have to have a lot of money to invest with that group. Like what's the minimum investment look like? And what does someone have to do in order to get involved with something like that? Uh, <laughs> um, well, in order to be a uh, SEC considered accredited investor, you have to have, um, there's like three or four different sort of um, boxes you have to check. You have to check like one of them. And um, I don't have all the rules in play in my mind, but um, my previous background is, is I'm from a real estate background and I had a couple of properties that were worth over a million dollars. So, you know, like vacation houses or, you know, commercial properties. So by virtue of my um, real estate holdings, I qualified as a, as an accredited investor. And, um, and so therefore I'm allowed to participate in, in, in that kind of thing. I do not have a lot of money (laughs) 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 or, I'm not like Bill Gates. I see. You know, it's, 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 uh, uh, you know, I think that most of the people that get involved with 
angel investing are just, you know, regular everyday folks that probably have some pretty good savings from maybe working at a high tech startup that their stock is worth a lot of money. You know, maybe they spent 20 years at Microsoft and don't forget, I mean, if someone started in Microsoft in the 80s or 90s, by the year 2000, Microsoft was the most valuable company in the entire world. And they were very generous uh, with their stock options and their stock grants and their, and, and their you know, benefits packages. Um, people um, in high tech positions, their starting salaries can be over $250,000 a year, even back then. So, um, so people have people who are able to accumulate a net worth of over a million dollars um, are allowed to invest in startups. So that's how individual angels, in my personal case, I grew up in a real estate family. Um, my father is a um, property owner back you know, from like in the 1960s in Massachusetts. And um, I'm one of seven kids and we grew up um, managing, you know, his properties that he owned, um, just a couple of um, kind of like apartment complexes and stuff like that. And then um, I began my career um, working in that kind of family office environment and doing investing in the stock market. I, um, I worked at a VC firm in Japan um, while I was in business school and, uh, then I worked on wall street. So I've had a long kind of journey in the investing world. It's the only thing I've ever done. I haven't, I haven't worked at a startup. I didn't do anything else. I was only like that. This is the only thing that I've ever, ever done was investing. Wow. So I saw that you went to Notre Dame and you got your bachelor's in history. Is that right? Yeah, don't hold it against me. <laughs> and then you later got your MBA a few years later. So did you live out there or how'd you end up going to Notre Dame? And you said you grew up in South Hill, right? Or where did you uh, No, I didn't grow up in South Hill. I okay. grew up in Massachusetts. I'm I from see. Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Um, and um, yeah, no, I ended up, uh, you know, um, I'm from a, a, a large family. Um, our background is Irish Catholic. Uh, so... Uh, Notre Dame is a Catholic college and, uh, you know, there are three or four other colleges. Uh, I went to a Catholic high school. Uh, so it, it kind of like fit into my background of that. My dad went to Boston college is kind of like a rival of Notre Dame. And, uh, my sister went to Holy Cross, the other kind of like, you know, competitive school to Notre Dame. So, um, everybody in my family kind of, uh, pushed down that road. And, um, it was always like, my dream college to go to. And then I applied and got out there and I really got involved with the community. After I graduated, I worked on wall street for, for a few, a little while. And then I actually got involved with some entrepreneurial startups myself. So I was at a, I had a job on wall street. Um, but I had a few ideas and I knew a few people that wanted to start their own company. And I was young, I was 22, 23 years old. And I was like, yeah, sure. This is, um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sit at a desk and, you know, it's like that movie office space, you know, and filing TPS reports. Um, I didn't want to, you know, I, that's probably a bad reference, but like, I didn't want to have, you know, one of those experiences. I wanted to, you know, 
I wanted to start something. I wanted to be part of something that was young and exciting. So I had started a couple of, um, I got involved with a couple of startups. Um, they were okay. They were pretty good ideas, but um, I really didn't have the experience needed to take those things to the next level and to raise money on those things. Um, I, I didn't have any kind of experience in that world. Um, so inevitably, like we, you know, ran out of, um, resources and I was kind of at a, at a crossroads. I was 24 years old. Um, the startups I had been working on had, you know, nothing going on for them at this point, there was a little bit of audience and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but it wasn't something that I was really committed to full time. So I actually went, went and applied to business school to try to, I figured if I went to business school, I'd at least always have a job because I'd have an MBA. You know, at this point, I was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And, and I figured if I got an MBA, I'm smart enough to probably get into a business school, then I'll at least get a job. Um, so I applied to like nine business schools and it was, uh, I applied to like 10 business schools and I was rejected by nine of them. And I think I still have the letters somewhere. And then one of the schools that waitlisted me called me up and was like, hey, you know, you went here undergrad. Uh, would you, uh, you know, we got a couple of spots open. Do you want to come here? And I was like, yes, 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 of course. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, so then I went to business school. And then, I, I mean, if you know me, I was, uh, I was a, you know, like, the lowest GPA student uh, to start off. And, um, and, uh, but, and this is like right after 9-11 happened. So like Wall Street was a complete mess and most investment banks, like literally Wall Street did not even have offices anymore. And uh, in terms of like getting internships and trying to get a job on Wall Street, which is what I wanted to do. I was living in New York City at the time. I didn't, I, I, I didn't really think that I had a lot of opportunities open for me. Um, so I found out about this, um, this internship in Japan. Uh, the school had sponsored this kind of like cross-cultural internship program. There was a Notre Dame professor that was from Japan and he like had all these contacts in, um, in like Tokyo's Wall Street. And um, they had this like cross-cultural thing. So I applied for it. I had taken Japanese language for two and a half years when I was an undergraduate. So I was like, this is my job. This is, and, and one of the jobs was for a VC. And I was like, this has got my name written all over it because I need a job. I know a little bit of Japanese. Um, I want to go to Japan and I definitely want to work in VC. Um, or I want to, I want to learn more about working in VC. So I took the internship. I got the internship. I took it, uh, which is a really huge, incredible opportunity for me. Went out to Japan, Tokyo for three months, uh, worked at a VC desk at um, <coughs> the Japanese version of AT&T, NTT. And, um, and then I got to look at business plans. My first day on the job, I was, I was on a conference call, basically translating um, between our group and the top VC firm in the world at the time, Klein and Perkins, Caulfield Buyers, uh, my first day in Japan on the job. So, um, 
I was like, this is the best thing that has ever happened to me. Um, and then uh, what I did was I finished the internship. I was about to go back to my second year of business school and I was desperate to try to get a job in Silicon Valley at a VC firm. There, again, there were just like, I didn't even know what I was doing. But at the time, there was no chance that they were going to be hiring a second year MBA at a Silicon Valley VC firm. It just was not happening. Mm -hmm. um, most of these most of these VC firms are impossible to get a job in unless you want to, you know, be their accountant or something like that. But like, there's no chance of being um, a second year MBA getting an associate position at a Silicon Valley VC firm. But I knew that it was the work that I wanted to do. So, so I had to kind of take the long road. I graduated from business school and I went back to my family um, business and was like, listen, you know, I'm uh, I'm a real big, huge, important MBA, and I know everything about everything. I'm going to come and run your business and uh, take everything to the next level, and yada yada yada. And my dad was like, whatever. So um, I got, I went back home to Boston, and I began um, doing some real estate work. My dad had a couple of buildings. He was, um, you know, running them himself. I kind of just like sort of inserted myself into the, the job. And um, I like, you know, helped him refinance a couple of things and do some, you know, uh, you know, uh, upgrades in some of the properties. I started by, I bought a, a couple of buildings uh, with the proceeds we did some construction jobs. I sold some construction jobs, sort of ground. I, I did that for a few years. And then right around um, 2007, I just was completely unhappy because, uh, you know, I didn't want to be sitting in, uh, you know, two degree weather in the dead of winter, um, you know, banging nails um, at a, you know, at a, um, an apartment complex where I wanted to invest in innovative companies. You know, I was always an investor. I always wanted to be part of entrepreneurial things. And I didn't want to be arguing with a bunch of, uh, you know, construction guys about, you know, whether to put the uh, thermostat here or to put the thermostat there mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, I just didn't want to do that kind of stuff. So um, I moved out here eventually and, um, was going to do some real estate a little bit more, but my passion was always investing, whether it be the stock market. Um, and I always wanted to do entrepreneurial type things. Um, I always wanted to get things going. You know, people would always come up to me and be like, Dennis, you know, can you invest in this? Can you invest in this? You know, do you want to start a laundromat? Do you want to do this? I was always trying to like get involved with like, you know, side hustles and side deals and this, that, and the other thing. And finally, um, you know, after I had invested in a couple of, you know, small businesses. And then I invested in a couple of movies and tried to do a few other things. I finally just like, you know, said, you know what, what I really want to do is I just want to invest in technology startups. I want to find the next Facebook. I want to find the next Twitter. I want to find the next amazon.com. And, uh, and then finally, you know, I realized I lived in Seattle and that's where Amazon and Microsoft are from. So why don't I just start, you know, looking at the startups that are coming in our ecosystem, I realized it was really easy to get involved with for a person like me to get involved with the angel community, because all you have to pay is a couple of hundred dollars 
and you join one of these investment clubs and you know suddenly you've got the opportunity to you know there are a couple of the guys at these investment clubs invested in Amazon wow. when it was okay. a when it was a startup yeah so so I so when I finally like you know so that was a long road for me I mean mm-hmm. by the time I joined those things I was nearly 40 years old I had been a professional investor for 20 years and had tons and tons of twists and turns in my life and um finally like I I got to my first set of you know meeting and was like I'm home. Mm-hmm. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, whether or not, whether I'm successful or not, whether it works or not, I want to do this for the rest yeah. of my life. Yeah. Well, I'm glad so, you did it because hopefully our city can benefit from it. So just for, for clarification. Yeah, lucky, here, lucky for Tacoma, huh? Yeah, lucky for Tacoma, exactly, that you, you came out here. Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma, and a proud Alaska Airlines frequent flyer. Everything in our day-to-day life seems to involve more hassle these days. So it feels good that Alaska Airlines is making something easier. Alaska has made air travel virtually touch-free. Here's the rundown. When you check your bags at the airport, you won't have to touch the kiosk to print your bag tags. They'll print when you scan your boarding passes, or you can even print them from home. When you board your flight, they can scan your boarding pass from as much as six feet away. Now, the lawyers want me to say that this might not work if the lighting in the terminal is low or if the print quality of your boarding pass isn't great. But still, kudos to Alaska for trying to keep physical distancing at every point of the trip. And don't forget, you can pre-order your meal from your phone or from your computer. You can even put your card on file in case you decide mid-flight to splurge on a local wine or beer. Get your drink without pulling out your card. Now, that's the perfect blend of convenience, safety, and temptation. Those are the thoughtful details that make me choose Alaska Airlines every time I fly domestically. When you're ready to travel, rest easy, because Alaska's got this. Skip the travel sites and visit alaskaair.com to book your next flight. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for making travel smoother, and thank you for your support of Channel 253. And so just for clarification, VC is venture capital or venture capitalists is what we refer to some people. And they're investing their money. They're like rich people or people with a lot of money investing in businesses. Is that right, Dennis? How would you? Uh, that's not what a venture capitalist okay. is. <laughs> so. um, an angel investor is an accredited investor. So, yes. It's, I I really wouldn't, I, I don't really think you, it's, the definition is this is just a rich person investing. In I businesses. see. Okay. When I think of VC, I, I always think of Mark Cuban. So. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's rich, but I don't think that that's what defines him. He is an entrepreneurial uh, businessman mm-hmm. who has had a lot of success. Okay. I think, I think the traditional definition of an angel investor is someone who wants to make investments in entrepreneurs. I see. And the reason why the reason why you need angel investors is an entrepreneur with an idea cannot go to a bank mm-hmm. and borrow a million dollars. If you went to a bank, they would ask you for three years worth of tax returns and for your company mm-hmm. and three years worth of sales and usually positive earnings because they would need the collateral. I see. So okay. how does a person with an idea typically raise money? Now, back in the day, 
you know, maybe someone coming from another country, if they wanted to open up like a restaurant or something like that, would have to go to like a neighborhood investor, uh, a neighborhood kind of money person and, you know, borrow at a really, really ridiculously high interest rate, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Here, currently, you know, when someone wants to start a business or has a business idea, they go to what they call an angel investor. I see. Okay. Usually an angel investor is an experienced business person. And the reason why there is a monetary threshold for qualification, why you have to be an accredited investor, why you have to be have a net worth of over a million dollars is because if you lose all your money on the investment, you're basically saying, I am comfortable with the risk mm-hmm. that I could lose all of my money mm-hmm. on this investment. And I will not sue the founder because I am an accredited investor. I'm a sophisticated investor by definition of having over a million dollars. And so if I put $200,000 of my million dollars into this company, I'm not going to sue that person mm-hmm. if if that $200,000 goes down to zero. So yes, like you have to be accredited and sophisticated enough to be an adult mm-hmm. and and know your limits. I see. And know your know what you can and can't do. And even for people that do that, they still do that all the time. They still invest too much. They still put too much at stake. They still lose it all. So, but the reason why they have these accredited investor thresholds is to prevent people from suing each other because they were scammed or they invested all of their net worth into, you know, a very, very, very risky asset class. Mm -hmm. Now that's for angel investing. A venture capitalist is a, they do the same job, which is invest in startups, but a venture capitalist takes money from partners, limited partners, and they pool it together. Usually they call it a blind pool. And so those limited partners do not really know where the money is going. It is, they're putting it in the hands of the VC who is a professional like me and they are charged, they get a management fee and they are charged with um, deploying that capital effectively in the ecosystem. So it's usually a larger pool of money than an angel investor. Like, you know, an angel investor might be investing a million dollars total, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, a venture capitalist, uh, usually, you know, a small VC firm might have $15 million in assets under management. So you have an angel investor with a million and you have a venture capital firm with, you know, um, something in the range of 10 to 15 million. And then other VC firms have 300 million. Oh, wow. Some of them have a billion of assets under management. Um, so it's kind of like a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that out. So how big is the Tacoma Venture Funds fund? How big is that fund? Uh, we're on our fund number one. So we have about uh, $12.5 million of assets under management. Oh, wow. And what does a typical investment from them look like? 
or does it just vary? Uh, well, we have a diversified portfolio, so we don't, you know, we we currently have done, um, I think we're at about, we're getting closer to eight investments at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've done six. Uh, we've only been around for a year. So, um, and we probably invested about a third of our um, capital. Oh, okay. Um, but we'll be deploying the rest over the next three or four years. I see. Okay. So as a VC, where do you think our aspiring entrepreneurs in our community should focus their efforts? Is there a specific industry that you think might be a good focus that we should focus on to, you know, grow or? No, (laughs) I think that, um, I mean, I think inevitably, inevitably the ecosystem is about, is in the hands of the entrepreneur. It's about whatever the entrepreneur wants to to put forth into the world. So I think that it, it, it varies. We are um, sector agnostic. So some other like VC firms um, have certain type of expertise and capabilities, but we do not, we don't specialize. So we just, we just try to work with it for Tacoma. You know, I think it's really about um, getting the great people of Tacoma and the smart people in Tacoma to come up with great ideas and um, try to build them into venture scale companies. And that's where we would come in. Um, if it looks like they're really creating something big that can you know, bring a lot of jobs to our area, we wanna be part of it. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's great. So there's a lot of opportunity out there for all the listeners out there. And what do you think is the hardest thing about being a, a VC for you on your end? The hardest thing about being a VC um, is I think kind of like making it all come together, you know, um, bef- with, uh, with companies, you know, you, there are certain companies that you want to invest in other ones. I mean, saying no is really difficult. You know, you want to kind of say yes to every deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to disappoint people. It's kind of like, you know, rejecting uh, someone for dating or something like that. You know, you you sometimes you have to say no. That's tough. Um, it's hard raising a fund. It's very difficult, um, especially for a first time fund. Uh, so you need partnership for sure, uh, and you need people to kind of believe in you. Um, and I think it's uh, other than that, you know, it's you know, it, and it's hard to have success. I mean, <laughs> I. You know, there's not a lot of Amazon.coms out there. There's not a lot of uh, uh, stuff. So, you know, you you got to really work with them. And then once you make an investment, you know, that's just that's just the beginning. You know that now you have to actually do the work to uh, try to like have success with those companies. So, you know, it's a lot of um, just a lot of you need a lot of patience and and uh, and um, you know, knowledge and skill set, and and kind of you need to help these companies get their, you know, take their business to the next level, take their dreams to the next level. Mm-hmm. So, what does a typical day for you look like? Are you just running around meeting people at coffee and hearing pitches all day? No. Okay. Please no. Please no. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, today, um, I had a call with a co-investor about a round uh, that we're doing. Um, and we're trying to figure out the terms of it. 
uh, I submitted the terms that I want to do. And I had to kind of go to my co-investor and say, hey, what do you think? Um, and he was like, yeah, I, you know, I like that. It's a good idea. But we really need to do this. We really need to do that. So we sort of go back to that. And um, then I have to go, I had to, you know, text that startup and say, hey, this is what we think we need to do. Can you go call your lawyer and try to figure this out? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, going out of town pretty soon. So can we, can we do this by the end of the week? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of, that's kind of like buying a house, you know, you have to, you know, you have to negotiate with, you know, the other party, you have to negotiate with your partners, you got to negotiate with the lawyers and you got to make it all work and there's deadlines and people are running out of money. So we're kind of doing that. Uh, I'm meeting with new startups, people pitch me a brand new idea and you, you know, you, you, push that through and you, you listen to it meeting with the CEO of a company uh, they're kind of uh, looking to um, raise more money we've already invested in them we're trying to figure out how much they need to raise in order to get themselves to the next level uh, another company wanted to know why I'm not investing in them yet <laughs> and so you got to kind of explain you know our reasoning and the things that we're looking for uh, trying to contact somebody that we want to invest in us down the road you know, because, you know, we have to raise money from other, we have to, we have to raise money ourselves uh, so we can deploy it. So I'm trying to do that. Um, so just a lot of, you know, a lot of meetings. Uh, I try to avoid running around for coffee shops because it takes way too much time. Mm-hmm. Uh, remote work is really good for us because, you know, I can do the podcast, mm-hmm. click off, <laughs> I'm in a new meeting. Yeah. Click off, I'm in another meeting. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so, so that's, that's probably the most effective uh, way that we can do our job. Um, I think it's probably the most efficient way for me to do my job. We don't need to be, you know, in some fancy, like, oh, we can't afford it, but we don't want to be in like a fancy office, you know, wasting people's time. We just want to, you know, invest in great companies. Mm-hmm. And I- we have a, we have a very basic job. It's like we deploy capital, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time. It's just, there's a lot of preparation before we actually do that. I see. So, is there any involvement for your from your end after the investment? Do you help mentor the companies as well? Yeah, absolutely. That that's just the beginning. Okay, we make an investment, and then um, what we do is we try to work with the firms on a monthly basis. We usually do a call per month, one call per month, at the minimum, and that is to um, go over their operational results from the previous month and do other things. I'm also on the board of directors for two of the companies in our portfolio. So that is like even more oversight into what they're doing. Um, So we're going over um, key performance indicators or KPIs. Mm -hmm. And uh, usually it has something to do with like sales and expenses and um, various other things that are important to that company. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lot of work um, after we make the investment. I see. So what are a few things you look for in prospective investments that you're going to make? We look for uh, really innovative product ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look for a really, really solid founding team and uh, big opportunities. Those are kind of some basic things. Um, with the product idea, you know, you want something that's kind of differentiated and, and innovative. For me, I personally like to uh, deal with companies that are like trying to put good into the world. I think that that's like good karma Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, With founding teams, you know, uh, I usually like to work with pros. That saves a lot of heartache 
I also do kind of have intentional biases towards uh, supporting female founders and minority-led businesses. It's very important to me. Those are two areas that I think that are very, very like up and coming in the venture space. That's great. And also for groups um, that are coming out of the South Sound uh, that are putting things, I want to be able to see all of them. So that's important. And then marketplaces, you know, you can be doing a good product and have a good team, but if you're not selling it and it's not going to get big, like what's the point? Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, so those three things have to be really, really in place before I get interested. I see. Okay. So I I was doing some research and I saw that medium did a really good article and they interviewed you on it. And they had said that, well, I think you had said that there's a ton of bad behavior by some investors so what were you referring to about these bad behaviors from investors? It must have been a long time ago. <laughs> uh, you know, I just think that overall in the in 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 the world, you know, some people abuse their platform sometimes and they can bully people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes they Uh, This is probably like too technical, but, you know, if I was speaking to another VC, sometimes I'd probably be like, you know, these people, uh, you know, kind of try to negotiate unfavorable terms for the startup, Mm, you know, or, you know, sometimes people have like these unconscious biases that they're not even aware of, Mm -hmm. like they're kind of power hungry Mm -hmm. and that doesn't really work well in our industry. And I it kind of bothers me sometimes. I but, see. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. And I agree a hundred percent. So we're g- going to wrap up here. I have a few more questions, but m- one of my closing questions are what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Try to make sure that you have your life together uh, before you go out and just get going. I also think that meet a couple of people that, you can partner with almost like if you're starting a band, you know, like a music band. It's like you might be a singer, but you need a guitarist. Mm, I like that. A, I like that. And you need a drummer. And you need someone to play keyboards. Mm-hmm. And you need someone to be a bassist. And the other thing is, is if you are thinking about it in like a musical analogy, if you're hiring a guitarist, don't hire a guitarist that you need to teach how to play guitar. Mm-hmm you need to hire someone where you can just point to them and say, do a guitar solo in the key of a minor Mm -hmm. pentatonic, you know, just do it. Like I, you, I I can't teach you how to do this. Like just do it. Or you need to be able to point to guitars and say, play one, four, five in the key of C and just do it. Uh, You know, you need to be able to point to the drummer and say, I need you to find me a really good two, four groove. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, like kind of like in the John Bond. Are, are you a musician, Dennis? You sound like you know what you're talking about. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I know a little bit about music. That that's the whole thing about <clears throat> that's the whole thing about my job is I need I need to know a little bit about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm saying about here is is like if you're starting a company, you know, you might need someone to help you with finance. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to point to someone who's a professional and say, I need you to do this. Oh, yeah. so you might need to like put someone, you know, uh, in charge of, you know, writing a business plan for you. You need to, you need to get experience in that. So it's important to 
you know, network into the local ecosystem, into the scene to find people that can help you do that. And if you find true professionals in your area, in your industry, they can really be effective oh, yeah. in taking your idea to the next level. And, and it doesn't have to be hiring them. It could be just starting an advisory panel and meeting with them on a monthly basis or a weekly basis. And, you know, they might have other jobs, but maybe they could spare 30 minutes every single week to walk you through some, some things. Mm -hmm. And I think that taking, taking some of those initial steps as you're an aspiring entrepreneur um, will really like let you uh, develop your idea and take things to the next level. I see. Yeah, I really like that analogy. Know where your weaknesses are and hire around it to build a solid team. And right. do you have any book recommendations for aspiring entrepreneurs? Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of a million bazillion kind of like VC books out there. Um, uh, I've probably forgotten most of the ones <laughs> that, you know, are the ones that I've read are probably like, you know, eons old. My boss uh, recommended this one, Secrets of Sand Hill Road by Scott Cooper. Um, I read it's pretty good. Um, another one is uh, Measure What Matters by John Doerr. And that is all about the... Um, the strategy of OKRs, objectives and key results that help with the objectives, OKR. Mm -hmm. uh, those are really good for like, actually like talking to startups and helping them go. I get inspired by biographical stories. So I actually read a lot of like non-industry stuff. Like I, I'll read a lot of like biographies on maybe like famous people or, you know, celebrities or musicians um, or movie people or writers or um, I don't know, like I just I read a lot of things like kind of like nonfiction, motivational, um, spiritual books. Those are the things that kind of like get me going, mm -hmm. because I think at the end of the day, you know, it's it's really like for me, I just like to I like to try to identify what it takes to be great. Mm -hmm. And what makes someone that has had a lot of success in their life, what makes them different? Because, you know, various different things have happened. And I sort of like, I, it helps me try to identify that in people that I meet mm -hmm. because it lets me think like, oh, okay, you know, you remind me of, you know, this successful um, artist, um, because of your desire and your passion and your will and your background and your, you know, the things that, the things that the, this guy used to be, to get to where he is in life is very similar to what it seems like you're using. I, so I, I like to, that, I like to read some of those types of things. Okay. That's good. And so how can we help you out as a community? Is there anything that we can do or listeners can do? Yeah. Um, I would say that, you know, um, Anybody that is interested in innovation and startups and building companies uh, should check our website out at TacomaVentureFund.com. Reach out to me. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of via LinkedIn and stuff like that. Um, you know, there's a way to book a meeting with me on our website. I usually meet with most people, so I don't have a – it's not really hard to kind of get me 
to uh, do a call and and kind of um, you know trade war stories. I think that um, if there are people in Tacoma that are interested in venture capital and interested in investing in startups, um, you know, it'd be great to meet with them because maybe they're interested in working with us. Yeah. Um, a lot of people want to just do their own thing. Like I did, I wanted to be a, an individual, so I wouldn't, you know, necessarily expect anybody to want to, you know, be a limited partner in Tacoma Venture Fund. But I just think that if people want to help build this ecosystem, they should reach out. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. And Tacoma Venture Fund is the first of its kind in this area. Is that right? Do we have anything else like yeah, that? Yeah, there's no one near as good as us. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Dennis, for your time today. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and letting us learn more about what's going on, what you're doing, and how you're helping out the community. Because you really are, and you're going to help grow jobs, hopefully, and so many good things about what you're doing. So I really appreciate it. And I hope that we can connect again in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And I really appreciate um, the invitation and uh, the format. You know, um, my my um, request to you guys is to just um, let me know how I can help you guys kind of grow your platform and, um, you know, have uh, have great success on your in on uh, channel 253. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. I appreciate you you joining us today and tuning in. Our next episode, we'll be talking with Marcus Cooper and how he grew up his business and growing up in the city of Tacoma and uh, some things that he did to become successful. See you next time on Give Me the Mic. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com membership and join. Thank you. Give Me the Mic is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.